Hallelujah. Baruch Hashem. Well, welcome everybody, and a special welcome to uh, one of our, our online mishpaha who is with us today all the way from California. Uh, Yochanan is the last, there you are Yochanan, Baruch Hashem. Is it Vallejo, is that right? Vallejos, Vallejos. Vallejos. I feel like I need a sword fight after I say that name or something. On God, Vallejos. All right, Brugashem. Let's say the uh, Baraka and get right into our Torah study today, our Drash, because uh, Brugashem, there's so much. Hallelujah. Blessed are Yodanar, God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of your Torah. Please, Adonai, God, sweeten the words you have torn in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Amen. Fill out of sorts today because my, my daughter is sick. She's got a little, little, uh, little cold, so she's uh, taking care of that. And my wife, her mother, is home with her, helping her. So normally, she comes to the shul with me, and we have some kind of like a little life lesson on the way to the shul. And then my wife is usually here holding up a little cue card telling me what to do. Because uh, I don't know. I just show up here. And so, no, she doesn't really do that. But I miss them both, so it's like kind of weird, you know. So uh, anyhow, Baruch so, so feel sorry for me. Thank you very much. And feel sorry for them. Refuel Shlema to my, my wife and daughter, Baruch Hallelujah. Uh, and today, and then I look down, I see Ark's name, and I'm thinking, why is the tour portion on my note? Oh, it's Ark. No, Ark is going to read. Okay, Baruch Hashem. That's great. So today we're studying Teruma, and uh, I want to start looking back here in, in the, the 25th chapter. My subtitle for today I've just, is, is Taking and Giving, or Giving and Taking, however you want to say it. Taking and giving and giving and taking. Parashat Terumah. Let's read again this opening verse. Adonai spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to the children of Israel and let them take for me, say take. Take, take for me a portion, a From every man whose heart motivates him, you shall take my portion. So notice it says every man. Why does it say every man? It says every man because the women did not participate in the sin of the golden calf. Right? The sin of the golden calf. Because as we've talked about before, what woman would give up her gold earrings for an idol? Right? No, no, no. No, no. So uh, the men wanted to build a calf. The men are the ones who got antsy. The men are the ones. It's just... um, this is, this is, by the way, very important because not that people do this, but there could be a tendency to put all the blame on a woman for the fallen world, right? Because of Ganadin. Now, we have said, and rightfully so, that it was ultimately the husband's fault, in this case, Adam, to uh, rectify what his wife had done by succumbing to uh, the will of the serpent. But ultimately, you could say in that instance, it was Eve who messed up, right? So that's a big problem. So everybody points back to Ganadin and says that man has fallen 
And we live in a sinful world because of Ganadin, which is, is true, but it's not totally true. The reality is there were two big mess-ups on the part of the human race. And the other one was the sin of the golden calf. Because had Israel not sinned with the golden calf, had they actually waited for the Torah to come down, uh, this is really good what I'm about to say. So, the Torah itself is the tree of life, right? Go back to Ganadin. We know that, ha that had they just eaten of the tree of life and not of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, that man would have lived forever in a pure state, in a holy state. Adam would have immediately been Mashiach. Everything been fine, right? That's why you need a second Adam, because the first Adam was supposed to be Mashiach, so you need a second Adam, right? So that, everybody would have eaten the tree of life. Everything was great. A lot of preachers have said, and God forbid, I used to say it myself way back in the day when I didn't know any better, that when the Torah came, 3,000 people died. But that's a lie. That's a lie. And that's a famous, very popular sermon. It ranks number one or number two, however you want to look at it, to Acts 10, God made all foods clean. Those two sermons are like number one and number two. People, they pass them around. And this, man, they, don't have, they can't think of anything to talk about. On, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying those really two are really the two that they, they use. So, but it's not true at all because the fact of the matter is, if you, know, if you go back and read the story, which most of us don't do, we don't read the Bible, that's the problem. So we don't, we don't read the story. So what happens is he's on his way down the mountain with the Torah and people are already dancing around the golden calf. So when, when the Torah came and 3,000 people died, it wasn't because of the Torah. In fact, the Torah never made it that far because he broke the Torah tablets on the mountain before he went down to the camp. Why? Because had they, just like Eve, had they partaken of the tree of life, a.k.a. Uh, i.e. the Torah, then they would have lived forever in a sinful state. So he had to kick them out of the garden so they wouldn't eat of the, eat of the tree of life. And they had to kick, he had to break the tablet so they wouldn't eat of the tree of life for both reasons. This also means that the men danced around the, the calf. The men went to the women and said, give me your jewelry. The men wanted this to happen. And so Eve was guilty in the garden, but man was, man was guilty. Adam was guilty at the idol. So both share in the guilt. Moreover... There, before the first Jew who was Abraham existed, there was Adam and Eve. And so you could make the argument that the Gentiles are responsible for the fall of in the garden. But Jews are responsible for the fall of the golden calf. So both people are responsible. In other words, we can't play the blame game. And a lot of the sages will talk about the era of Rob incited, blah, blah, blah. But I would just want to say, in case we want to blame the era of Rob, the mixed multitude, if someone entices you to break the law and you break the law, you still broke the law. You can't say, well, they told me that I should go in the bank and rob it. And I don't know, it sounded like a good idea to me, so I did. But if it hadn't been for them instigating me, I would have never held the bank up. Well, guess what? You're going to go to jail now because you, you, you can't blame somebody, right? We couldn't blame the serpent. We can't blame, just like Aaron said, Aaron said, I don't know. I took the gold they gave me, I threw it in the fire, and out popped this calf. That literally happened, by the way, because the calf, the golden cow was animated. See, mythology is not mythology. That's the myth of mythology training in school. 
people worshiped all those false gods for a reason. You know why people go to a voodoo witch doctor? Because he heals people. No one's going to keep going to a voodoo witch doctor if he's not healing people. He won't be in business very long. See, so the myth of mythology is that it's not a myth. So the calf, he, they threw the gold in the calf and out popped this calf. We threw God's gold into the fire and out popped the menorah. Right? So anyway, so we have this issue that, that the Torah, had the Torah actually come down, we would have been in a sinful state. So both, pe- both man and both woman have fallen. And now we're waiting for what? We're waiting... For Mashiach to return, but, but, but from this time forward, the rabbis even say the, the original tablets will not be fully restored until Mashiach comes. They're waiting on Mashiach. Mashiach has got to be the, the third temple. Mashiach has got to be the one who brings complete restoration. So Parashat Teruma, excuse me, says, speak to the children of Israel and let them take from me a portion from every man. So it's man's responsibility to give. So the first part of this, this, this drash is giving. The second part of this drash is going to be taking. But there is an interesting dichotomy here. It's kind of a, a circular mystery. Because we are able to give because God gives to us. But we're not able to take until we give. So you don't have except for what you put into it. But yet what we put into it is what we were given. It wasn't ours to begin with. It was God who gave it to us, and we put it in there, and we take it, take it out. So you're like, wait, I gave it, but it was really God's, and I'm taking it. But what I'm taking is really God anyway. I didn't really give it, then I'm going to give it back. It's this really strange. It's like the gifts that he gave you are gifts that he gave you. They're not your gifts, but you are required to give that gift back. So if you can, if you can sing, sing. If you can play an instrument, play an instrument. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to just keep it private. If you're supposed to, if you're a teacher, teach. If you're supposed to lead children that you have a gift of that, do it. Supposed to be in the sound booth, do that. Run the camera, do it. Greet the door, do it. Not allowed for to take uh, the gift that he gave you and say, I'm too, sh- I'm not able to do it because I don't want to, you know, I don't have the time. I, I don't, whatever the case may be, because the worst thing that happen is that God will give you a gift and then you don't use the gift for its intended purpose. And then the worst thing that happened is he could bring somebody else who has a similar gift to take the place that you were supposed to take. Trust me. It happens. It's terrible. So we're supposed to give. So men are responsible for giving. So the first lesson of giving, and this giving part is not going to make possibly be uncomfortable. But men, if you're relying on your wife to write the tithe check or do it, you're wrong. Well, I got a lot of amens on that one. <laughs> Amen, priest, rabbi. Yeah. No, man, listen to me. If you're saying to yourself, I don't know, my wife does all the, she does all the giving. She, she gets online or she, she's the one who writes it out or whatever she, however y'all do it, you know, she's the one who does it. I don't even really know. I mean, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a, I appreciate the fact that we do it, but here's the deal, man. If you don't have an active role in that, if you're not on top of that, why? Because it's your mitzvah. But we, we both play a part in every mitzvah, right? So the woman's, the woman's mitzvah, one of the women's principal mitzvahs, if, unless you're a single man, you should light the candles on Shabbat. But otherwise, it's a woman's mitzvah, right? But what do we do? As men, we are responsible to 
play a part in that mitzvah. Maybe the part that we play is the fact that we make sure that we buy the candles, or in, in some cases, uh, we go and we, uh, we pre-light the candles so that our wife doesn't have to out when she's lighting, you know, because, uh, you know, it gets a little hectic at that time. And so we're going to make, make it all smooth and, and shalom, by say shalom, by ye. Yeah, so anyway, um, you know, there's other ways that we do it. Maybe we, maybe we lay her sitter out or something or we open it up. We do something, we take a part in it, but the principal actor is her. And so she can't just walk up to the candles and go, I don't know, I had no plan, I had no, I'm just going to light them, I don't have any idea where they are or what's going on. She's not allowed to do that. She's got to get everything ready. So the man can't show up and go, I don't know, my wife wrote the check and so here it is. Put it in the, no. You've got to be on top of that. It's your responsibility. I'm just telling you that this is, this is the man's responsibility. The man was supposed to bring the gold, the silver, the turquoise, the various things, the copper. The man was supposed to bring it. Does it mean that husband and wife can't sit down and put it together, package it together? Absolutely. But it's the man's responsibility. You know what I'm saying here? Yes. As the head of the household, see, with great power and great authority comes great responsibility. We can't claim to be the priest of the home when, and, you know, we just want everybody to say, I'm the Abba, what I say is what I say. <laughs> and you don't want to, you listen, you don't want your children and your wife to go, but are you studying the Torah? Are you know, doing what it says to do? Yeah. No, I'm not. Get the pork chop out of your mouth and make good rulings. Listen, we can learn a lot from Judaism. We can learn a lot from Orthodox Judaism. We can learn a lot from the writings of the sages. Don't ever think that we can't. That's a lie. Why do we know that? Because with the Jews belongs the oracles of God, not with anybody else, not with the Vatican, not with the Internet, not with Google. Right? So it says here, for, for, let me, before I go any further, let me read from Hinuch. Do I have Hinuch? Did I get Hinuch? I left Hinuk. I left Hinuk. Somebody go to my office and get Hinuk off my desk. Please. While we're looking at that, let me say what Teruma makes while, while Hinuk is on his way. I can't believe I didn't bring Hinuk. It's bothering me. Teruma means something previously set aside. This is something else. Now listen, what I'm saying to us today is all encouragement. I'll talk about the men if you're not involved. Now here's the deal. When we hear something, you're like, man, I'm not really doing that. The, the deal is not to get upset about it. The deal is to correct it. God is into the teshuva business. So if you're a man and you're not, you've, up until now, your wife has taken care of all the tithing and all the giving, and you hadn't, you're not really thinking about it, and now you're like, man, I feel so convicted. That's good. Now God is saying, listen, the, the point is I want you to start being involved now. That's the point, right? So, Tarun, so this next point is going to be possibly uncomfortable, but let's also take it under that same spirit. The, the word teruma means previously set aside. So my question to us is, what's the kavana of our giving? Are we, are we taking the time during the week? Maybe part of our prep day needs to be prepping our tithe. Prepping our offering. We should never get in a situation where we come to the house of Hashem and we go, oh man, here I am, I'm in the house of Hashem, you know, wow, the Ruach HaKodesh is so strong here. And then, then it's time to bring the offering and you're like, oh, 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 the offering, offering, offering. 
I mean, you know what I'm saying? We should prepare. Why? Because when we come to the house of Hashem, we should be coming with an offering anyway. We've be coming, we've set it aside, we've been thinking about it, we have the kavanah about it. We write out our check, or however we do it, maybe some people do it differently. You know, now we have all this uh, ability to give online, and so people do it that way. But whatever you're doing, put kavanah with it. Make it something that you've set aside. We read about the, the widow's might, and, uh, you know, the, the, the ethic in Judaism is that no matter how poor one is, uh, I found Hinuk. Will you tell whoever's looking for it? I'm so sorry. I'm, ba- I'm, I'm sorry. Somebody is frantically looking at my office for Hinuk. And tell him I apologize. But thank you for looking. And God bless you for that mitzvah. Amen. May you have the reward of the mitzvah even though it's here. Baruch Hashem. He was, he was trying to be like Mashiach, concealed but now revealed. So anyway. So we, we set aside, we're supposed to take our tithe and set it aside and prepare it to, to bring and not let it be an afterthought because we come into the house of Hashem. So back to the widow's mite. We read about that. No, the, the ethic in Judaism is no matter how poor you are, you give. And g- give what? You give, well, if you're poor, you give 1%. No, you give poor is a tithe. It's a tithe, no matter what. In fact, in Judaism, even if you're receiving public assistance, you tithe on that public assistance. Tithing is Torah. Tithing is Torah. This is the reality. And if you notice, Hashem, or Yeshua, rather, when he saw the widow come up, the, the amount that she gave was all that she had. But she didn't have a smartphone. She didn't have a subscription to DirecTV. It's another amen. I'm going to say it for you. Amen. Because the reality is a lot of times like, I can't afford to give. I can't afford to give today. I can't afford to give today. Why can't you afford to give today? Because the money that I have, I'm gonna, we're going to go on, we're going on vacation next month, so I've got to hold back because, you know, we got that trip coming up. Right? Come on, look, look, we'd be liars if we all didn't have those temptations or some of us fell into those temptations at different points in our life. All of us, right? We forget that what we're giving, we're, we're going to be taking something back here in just a moment, but if we've never put anything in, We have nothing to take out. This is the circular. Hashem gave us so that we could give, so that we could take out. But if he gave us and we held back, there's nothing to put in. We're left with this, right? We're all supposed to give. This is this is terumah. You say, Rabbi, why 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 is this subject coming up? Because it's the Torah portion. We're supposed to give. Listen, uh, it's remind me of a story. One time I, I lived with, uh, had a, an apartment uh, uh, we, I shared with uh, three other guys back when I was in the, my service days. And I was the only one with a car. So I was the only one with a car. So um, we, uh, we were privileged at this case. We were given special permission. We were able to live off base. It was like really glorious and so we got this place on the beach, you know, young bachelors on the beach. It was wonderful. 
there's nobody else on the beach because it was a vacation beach, but that was okay. So we're all by ourselves on the beach. But anyway, so we're going back and forth to work every day, and I'm driving, and I'm and one day, you know, after many weeks of this, I'm sitting up filling up my my truck with gas, and I'm thinking, man, no one's ever offered to pay me any fuel, like nothing. So I just went back to the guys. I'm, hey guys, man, hey, uh, I was wondering if y'all could help me out with some gas money, since you know we all drive back and forth to work every day. Can you help me out with some gas money? You know what their reply to me was? My good friends. They said, you're going there anyway. Oh. Now, now try that on the dart train. Go to the, go to the dart train and tell the <laughs> attendant, hey, you're going downtown anyway. So, and since you're going that way anyway, I need a free ride. They'd be like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I told these guys, I said, oh, I see how it is. I'm going there anyway. So, you know, and not to mention the fact that if I'm going then my truck is being used, and if I have a flat tower, a tire, I pay for it. If the transmission goes out, I pay for it. All that's on me, right? All the wear and tear. So I said, I said you're right. I go there every day anyway. You're right. You're, that's a very valid point. And tomorrow, I'll be going there by myself. Now, I don't know how you're going to get there, but I'm going to be going by myself. And so uh, miraculously, uh, gas money appeared, and it was, it was wonderful. And so it was, it was a wonderful blessing. So Hinook, Hinook, I just want to cover this because in this Torah portion, Hinook brings down, he begins with the very reason for the commandments themselves. And so I just want to read a couple of things he says. It says, know, my son, that the entire benefit that reaches Hashem, blessed be he, when people perform any of his mitzvahs, is only that Adonai, blessed be he, wishes to bestow goodness upon us. Now keep that in mind. We're talking about giving in this case. And the reason he wants us to give is because he wants to bestow goodness upon us. The reason he wants us to eat kosher is because he wants to bestow goodness upon us. The reason he wants us to wear tzitzit is because he wants us to bestow goodness upon us. The reason he wants us to be Shomer Shabbos is because he wants to bestow goodness upon us. The reason he wants us to keep the Yom Tov is because he wants to bestow goodness. The reason he wants us to treat our and love people like we love ourselves is because he wants to instill goodness upon us. That's the purpose. That's what Hinook is saying here. He goes on to say, And when man is readied and prepared through performing those misses to receive goodness, then Adonai will bestow goodness upon him. This is where we get into the circular part. For this reason, Adonai informed mankind of the good path so that he could become good. And this is the path of Torah. For through the Torah, a person becomes good. Now, many people might read that, and because of their false religious ideology, they would receive that and say, no, no one can become good by reading the Torah or keeping the Torah. That's a lie. That's a lie. First of all, if you believe that, then you have to believe, God forbid, that the Scripture is no good. God forbid. Then secondly, you have to admit that God gave you a law as his precious child that he knew you couldn't keep, and then he decided to punish you for it, for keeping something or trying to keep something he knew you couldn't keep, which makes him, guess what, a very bad father. CPS would arrest him if he was human. Right? It's true. So what does this mean? It means that God wants to bestow goodness upon us, but in order to bestow goodness upon us, he has to to help us become good. So he gives us his holy Torah to follow so that we become good vessels so he can pour in the good wine into a good vessel. And then we can pour it out into other vessels. Because you don't pour wine into a, uh, a, a ratted out Dixie cup. 
right? You got to make the Dixie cup a good cup to receive the wine. So this is what I'm talking about. He makes us good through his will, through his word, and then we become good vessels and he pours us in and then we pour that out. I mean, it's really, it's really phenomenal if you think about what he does to us, but he makes us good. He said, well, Torah doesn't make you good. Well, then what is Mashiach doing? Because he's the living Torah who makes us good vessels. It emerges then that, by the way, remember what I said during the transition part that the divine spirit is the scripture. It has to be. See, some people are taught that there is the scripture and then there is the Mashiach and then there is the spirit of God and then there is another God and then there's all this other stuff going on. And you're like, no, no, what happened to Yon, uh, Hashem Echad? They're one and the same. The scripture is the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And God says, great, start reading. <laughs> no, I want my breakfast by osmosis. No, I gave you a mouth. This is why, this is why, this is what I, that's what I want to do. So it says, continuing on, and this is the path of Torah, for through the Torah a person is made good. It emerges then that anyone, anyone who fulfills Hashem's mitzvahs has fulfilled his will because he is then worthy of receiving his goodness, which is his ultimate will. So the purpose of the Torah is to, for God to be, to, to pour upon us rather, a, uh, a bestowment, as it were, of goodness. Now, why a donation? Why does that have to be a donation? No, notice, by the way, that it's, it's gold, it's uh, uh, copper, silver, turquoise, purple, scarlet wood, linen, goat hair, all this fancy stuff, acacia wood, oil for illumination, spices, and, it's, and shosh, even, even shosham stones. And it says that everyone should give according to what their, how their heart moves them, how they're motivated in their heart. But, but notice that this is talking, that everybody had to pay the shekel, the half shekel for atonement. Everybody had to pay that, and that was a yearly tithe. Everybody had to pay that. This is extra, Whoever motiv however, who, however they're motivated. The, the widow might gave everything that she had, but that was everything that she had. She had no other excuses. She couldn't say, well, I'm giving, I'm just poor, so I give this. No, that's not what she meant. I, I'm poor. I mean, I... In America, that means you can only afford a 55-inch old HDTV. You can't get the 75-inch 4K. That's poor in America. It is. So, you know, going back. Yeah. But anyway, you know, this goes back to what, what the Ramkal used taught. It all goes back to what you want. Because we always seem to have a way to make what we want happen. It's true. Just look at yourself in the mirror and say, don't ever say can't. Now, don't be stupid. You can't fly <laughs> unless you have a machine. Yes. But you know what I'm talking about. We often lie to ourselves and say, I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But yet the minute we want something, man, we make it happen. Right. You know, my wife, we were talking about this uh, just, you know, uh, something about uh, a, a new TV for our bedroom because the one we have in our bedroom is kind of 
antiquated, and we wanted more features. And so my wife said to me, you know, we're just talking. She's like, hey, let's, let's think about a TV. And I said, uh, we can't get one right now. And the truth of the matter is, if I wanted a TV, we would have one tomorrow if we wanted one. But I don't want one. So I was like, I'm, I'm fine with what I've got, which that came out as we can't get it right now, right? Now, she's probably watching this. She's, when I get home, she'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, I see what's going on. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. After Havdali, you're not going to talk. Ye could the the candle. No, I'm just kidding. She probably doesn't care either. But the point is, is that it's about what we, what we want, right? And some of you may be not believing what I'm saying right now, but just trust me. When you want something, you will make it happen, okay? Nobody will get in your way. But why a donation? So a donation as one, is, is something that we, when we give something away to charity, to a charitable cause, when we give something away, we are making an emphatic statement that that something is more worthy than me. However, as some commentators have pointed out, we're not supposed to give everything away. <clears throat> as I've heard people in my life say in years past, well, I know God wants the 10%, but I'm believing God that I'll be so worthy I can give the, away the 90%. That's not God either. Don't do that. That's stupid. What do you mean I can't give more? No, you can give more away, but don't hold yourself to a 90% standard or an 80% standard because God didn't command that. We are not to prohibit what is, what is uh, per, uh, permitted, and we're not to permit what is prohibited. So people out there talking about, I want to be so wealthy I can give away the 90%. That's dumb. That's not God either. Likewise, don't say, well, I'm only, only going to give 5%. It goes both ways. <clears throat> I can tell this is not my most popular message, but take it in, soak it in. So when we give, we're, we're saying that this thing that, to which we're giving me, is more valuable than my own affairs, my own mission, as it were. But yet, but in giving, we're becoming part of that of that work. And the sages even say that when we give, guess what? That, what we give, that, that a small, it's in comparison, it's usually smaller than what we keep, and yet it sanctifies the rest. It sanctifies the rest. The whole idea of sowing and reaping is not a Christian concept. It's not. There's nothing Christian that's original. That's why I said a few weeks ago, there's nothing new about the New Testament. wonderful, but what, what, I mean, it's, there's nothing new about it. This is why it's the renewed Testament. There's nothing new. There can't be anything new because that would insinuate that what God did before was bad. That's, see, that's the whole problem. But let me continue. So we give away a smaller portion, and as a result, that elevates the rest. So in the Kehot Chumash, in the introduction to Parashat Terumah, it says this, in simple practical terms, the very fact that we donate to holy causes transforms, say transforms. 
transforms our business or profession into a means to enable more contributions, our whole life down to its most mundane aspects becomes both consecrated to the cause and part of the cause, whether or not we are conscious of this. Do you understand what's going on? When you give to Sar Shalom or to some other Torah godly ministry that's spreading Yiddishkeit and Yeshua across the land, but when you give to Sar Shalom and you give your tithe and you pay what, what, is, what God expects, God says, listen, I'm expecting this of you because I want to bestow goodness. And besides that, I want to transform your entire life, your entire profession, your entire business into a mechanism for spreading Torah on the earth. Some people want to say, I wish I were a philanthropist. You are, when you give, you are spreading Torah in all the earth. This is why then when we gave to the temple, when the temple existed, it may be, be uh, rebuilt soon in our time. Amen. When we give to the temple, we are partaking in the spreading of the light of the world. This is what's so powerful. This is what's so meaningful. And we don't need, if everybody would just be faithful to the Torah, you don't need a synagogue of a thousand or ten thousand. You don't need a football stadium full of people. Because Hashem, understand, we operate outside the realm of normal, norm, uh, of normal law. I'm convinced that if we had a, and we don't, but I'm just saying, if, if we, just talking euphemistically here, I'm convinced that if, 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 if we or one had a synagogue full of paupers, but everybody was putting in the windows might, we'd, they'd have more money we knew what to do with. Yes. I'm convinced of that because Hashem, he's not, listen, give what you give. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I gave that for you to give. And, and it's going to be like the woman who went around with her son collecting bottles to fill with oil. You put that in there, we're going to go... <laughs> Everybody is giving. Donating is therefore a process, it says, of gradual refinement. The more we donate, the more we refine the rest of our lives. Man, y'all need to get a hold of this. Even if you're already faithful in your giving, you need to get a hold of this. Even, I'll tell you right now, that even if you're already faithful and, and making sure that that check or however you give is written out, this message right now will make you refine even that mitzvah. Pray over it. Think about it. Thank God for it. Just really focus on it. Make real kavanah. And get out of this secular humanistic way of thinking that people have. Listen, there's godly men. I just want to tell you right now, there's godly men, and for that matter, godly women, who overlook the finances of this synagogue, I promise you. People pray over it. I hear them praying when they're, when they're going, counting, you know, doing their deal. But anyway, donating is therefore a process of refinement. We continue to donate because our awareness of the importance of the cause increases. You know, it's kind of like you begin to give and then you know, 
Hashem, you're, you kind of see through a, dark, a glass dim, like, I don't know, I'm, okay, I'm just going to do that because this is the right thing to do. And then God says, oh, let me wipe that so you can see a little bit better there. You continue to be faithful, good. Let me see a little bit better. And pretty soon it becomes a part of who you are. This is how God does. He take, just like he says, I'm going to take the land, give, it, you, give you the land a little at a time so that it doesn't come overrun. He's going to give us Torah understanding a little at a time. What if he just dumped Torah understanding on us all at once? It'd be like trying to drink from a fire hose. He says, I can't do it, I can't do it like that for you. The in, this increased awareness is reflected in our increasing selflessness. Ultimately, our whole life is transformed into a selfless devotion to bettering and elevating the world. We have thus refined our portion of the world. Thus, it becomes a selflessness to divine consciousness. Goes on to say, this is why God's command to contribute to the tabernacle precedes his command to build it. Listen to this. Listen to this. This precedes his command to build it. And this is why this parasha is named Teruma. It is specifically in the process of donating to the construction of the tabernacle that the essential nature and purpose of the tabernacle, that is the, the concretization of the divine presence in earthly realms as accomplished by human efforts, fully expressed. You want to make God real to the world? then I'm just going to be, give to Sar Shalom. Come on. You know, Mikael, my dear brother and I, we've joked about this because we come from similar religious backgrounds. We're going way back. You'll experience a little bit of that later on this month, but... <laughs> But we've talked about it. We've joked, we've joked about it because we've both, like I said, come from these backgrounds. And so you see this building, and it's, it's, a, it's a shack of a building about to fall over. If somebody breathed on it too hard, it would, it would collapse. And the sign out front says, Holy Ghost, full of fire, full of faith, international house of God out front. Right? The people who don't believe in God are driving by going, that's what his house looks like? <laughs> That does not impress me. You can say, well, Rabbi, it's not about the building. It's about the people. Listen, we didn't have a building for a lot of years. It's about the building. <laughs> the only people who say that already have a wonderful building. I'm, I'm, I, I'm real, people. I'm real. I'm real. Now, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half kidding about that. The people do make a huge difference, of course. But please don't think that you can have... A, a, just a tent or, or a makeshift cabin and it's going to be, it's not going to happen. Not, not here. And besides that, let me, let me introduce you to a little reality check. We were, we were building a makeshift tent for God in the wilderness. This makeshift tent had a solid foundation of pure silver. This makeshift tent had instruments in it and big pieces of furniture like this made out of solid gold. This makeshift tent had a menorah made out of pure, solid gold. This makeshift tent had goat hair 
and fine fabric and fine dyed and spices. This makeshift tent, if you did the math, would cost millions of dollars to build today. This makeshift tent in the wilderness had more dollar value than most uh, synagogue and church buildings in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex today. Nobody that I know has a foundation of silver. 100 talons of silver. I looked it up one time. I want to say, and I could be wrong because silver prices change, but it was like a million and a half dollars for the foundation. And it wasn't even, it was just, it wasn't a complete saw. It was just blocks that were put together, but they were all talons a piece, 100 talons a piece. It was more than 100 talons a piece. It was 100 talons of silver for one block. Anyway, you get my point? That when God said, make for me a tabernacle, he didn't say, oh, just bring your used furniture, bring your used carpet, bring me some canvas, we'll stick up there. No, don't, just make it out of wood. No, God says, I want a gold, I want a gold ark. I want, I want a gold menorah. I want silver foundation, right? Now, we're not going to run out and paint the wall or, or cover the walls in gold around here, you know. Don't get all excited on me. But you, I want you to understand what, you're, what I'm talking about here. So, <clears throat> going on to this, I'm going to bring, bring down something from Mayam Loez and Shir HaShirim. Shir HaShirim, this commentary to Shemot 25, you know, it just amazes me. Here we have the, the Song of Songs, Shir HaShirim, in, in chapter 5 and verse 1. And the, and the, the Mayam Loez connects this back to our first two verses here. He says, I have come into my garden, my sister. Oh, Sleeka, that's the wrong verse. I'm sorry. We have the second one. Here we go. I, I am asleep, but my heart is awake. A sound. My beloved knocks at the door. Open to me, my sister, my beloved, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is filled with dew. My locks are filled with rain from the night. Why are, we, why are we wanting to give? We just said that our whole life is going to be transformed into a mechanism that promotes the Torah. That's what Hashem ultimately wants for, for us, from us. But in that, we have to understand that this is likened to influencing others, ultimately. So Mayam Loez says, the prophecies were filled with the destruction of Jerusalem and the onset of the Babylonian captivity. Night set in. In Babylon, they resembled a man who was sunk in a deep slumber from which he cannot be aroused. So deep was their despair. But they kept hearing God beckoning them, the divine presence knocking, rousing them out of their despair and calling for their return to him. Seems kind of strange, isn't it, that he's talking about this? Why is he saying these kinds of things? Because the construction of the tabernacle that we're reading about here and the fact that people were giving to it was a direct outgrowth of God forgiving us for the sin of the golden calf. Because prior to the sin of the golden calf, Hashem had wanted to make his dwelling with us. He had wanted, in fact, to be in the tents of every Israelite. In fact, he said later, build me a tabernacle so I can dwell with them. He didn't say to dwell in it. He said dwell with them. So after the sin of the golden calf, we're, we're thinking to ourselves, we're done. He's, doesn't, he's not going to want to dwell with us anymore. But he knocked on the door. 
And in our despair, we opened up the door and invited him in. And he said, now, make for me a tabernacle. But this time, you gave to the calf, but will you give to me? See, there's a lot of calves in our lives that we're willing to give to. We give them to them every month. But, and, and, but God says, I, I, you're given to the calf, but will you give to my sanctuary? Wow. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's what it says here. Sounds familiar? We're going to talk about that in a second. In Egypt, God sent Moses to our people. Open to me, my sister, my beloved. Open the door. If you will grant me an opening of repentance no bigger than the eye of a needle, I will open doors for you wide enough for wagons to pass through. Through your, though your sins enfold you like the thick ropes holding a wagon together, like a wagon indeed, you will pass through the door to deliverance. This is why Mashiach said it's harder for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle. Why? Because he doesn't want to let go of his stuff. He doesn't realize that if he gives, then I will bestow upon him goodness. But notice that the eye of needle is not something that Mashiach made up. He goes, it goes back to Jewish thought that God says, if you'll just open up a little bit, I will open just the eye of a needle of repentance. I will bust that forth and make a door of repentance. But the problem with the rich man is, in this case, he didn't want to open up even that much. Why? Because he loved his stuff. Now, in his case, it was just stuff. But in our case, it's different things. Like, you know, I really like spring cake barbecue, so I can't eat kosher. I can't, there's other things like, uh, I don't know, I can't wear that seat, seat stuff all the time because I get hot in the summertime. Oh, you think this is ridiculous? No, I can't, I can't be Jewish because my family, it'd be too difficult to work out all the family arrangements. Right? That's our rich, that's our rich man who's not willing to crack the door a little bit because it's inconvenient or we love life too much unto death. It's the truth. We do that. We, we have all these reasons and all these excuses why we can't follow the Torah. We can't be done. Nobody can do it. And yet we have tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that are doing it right now in New York. I don't know. God said to Israel, let go of your evil deeds and know that I am God. Psalm 46:11. If all the Jewish people would repent, even for a single day, the Talmud says, the son of David would immediately come. What was Yeshua's message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Oh, my goodness. He's saying repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. If, you just re if you'll just make shuva, the kingdom of God will come. And here's the reality. That when we do that collectively as a body, Mashiach will come. But when we do that individually in our, as a family, when we repent, the kingdom of God comes in our house. And there's much blessing. There's much reward. The lamb was held sacred by the Egyptians, and the spilling of its blood was the repudiation of idolatry. When we're willing to sacrifice what the world holds dear, dear in our life, then that is a repudiation of idolatry. Wow. Just know that. The world holds freedom dear, but freedom from what? What kind of freedom do they hold dear? Freedom from God. That's what the grace message is ultimately about. Let's just be real. This is a place where we get real. The grace message is ultimately about being free from God's control. We don't want God to tell us what to do, and therefore we have a grace message. You don't believe me? 
sit down with your friends and tell them you're eating. You're not going to eat pork because God said so, and you will be ridiculed. <laughs> tell them you're not eating pork because you're on a, a, the, the net 20 diet or whatever it is, you know, and they'll totally fine with it, and they'll want the, they'll want the plan from you. <laughs> but when we sacrifice those kinds of ideas on the altar of God, then we're repudiating that idolatry. And idolatry ultimately is wrapped up in self. The ultimate idol is man himself, which is probably why Yeshua had to come in the form of a man so that we could sacrifice him to kill that dependence upon man in our life and put our focus back on what God wants from us. So we want to influence others. This is why we want to be givers. Now it's time to shift gears a little bit and talk about the taking. Talk about the giving, but you can't take anything if you don't give anything, right? And remember what I said earlier on. If, you, if you're in a point in your life and this message is really, you're like, man, I just I struggle with it. I don't know. In all seriousness, talk, talk to a Zakin. Immediately. Immediately. <laughs> right. Talk to a Zakin and pour out your heart to that Zakin and say, man, I really, I really want to become a faithful giver, a faithful tither, and I'm struggling right now because several things can happen. One is, is that they might be able to give you some good counsel on how to arrange your affairs better so that you're not so strapped. Because everyone, I can speak for all the Zakins and myself, we've all been there. We've all written, written out a tithe and, and, and just were being faithful to that and, and, and had to eat beans and rice back here. We've all been there. And many people here have been there. But they can give you counsel. The other thing they can do is, is super, is even more powerful than that. They can pray with you that as you begin to be faithful and you're given, that God will supernaturally bless that effort and help you. Does that mean we're all going to be driving around in Cadillacs? No. But it means that God will make a way where there seemingly was no way. So take that advantage. Listen, the other thing about that is, is a lot of times when we our sins and not giving is a sin. When we confess our sins, a lot of times it's the mere confession of those sins which breaks the power of that sin in our life and we're able then to correct the, the wrong action. So just being able to go up to a Zakin and say, I need to confess to you that I, I haven't been doing this and I confess out of my mouth that I regret that. I confess it, I regret it, and I, I choose today to, to turn my life around and do better. Just confessing that sin will break the power of it in your life. It's true. So, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Isn't that what Yeshua said? It says here in the Midrash, Shabbat, alternately the congregation of Israel was saying, I was asleep regarding ever being forgiven for the incident of the golden calf. But my heart was awakened, meaning the Holy and blessed be he knocked on my door. In other words, the knock on the door that is talked about in the book of Revelation is actually Yeshua saying, I am standing here waiting for you to open it to me, the door of Shuva, and I will come in and sup with you. When it says me, he's going to come in and sup with us. It means that when we give to establish his tabernacle on the earth, that's when he'll come in and sit down with us. So it says here in the, in, in the Midrash Rabbah, in the opening uh, portion here, God is talking about this word teruma, and in the actual uh, wording, the Torah, the Midrash Shabbat, Teruma 33.1 says, 
with the Torah, we purchased Hashem. And it says in the scripture, take me a portion, terumah. But if you change the letters around, that's, take that same word and change the Hebrew letters, it would say me Torah, through the Torah. Terumah can be changed to me Torah, through the Torah. In other words, how do we take God? I want you to get what I'm saying. It's really, I'm really trying to articulate it well. But, but when we give to God, we give to him everything. We give, that includes our tithe, but it also includes our, our, act of, our act of worship, which the highest form of worship is emulation. When we actually become like God, that's when we're truly worshiping him. We can lift our hands and sing songs and, and all kinds of dance around, all kinds of stuff. But if we're not actually becoming like him, we're not really worshiping him. We're just putting on a show. It's a dance show at that moment, but we're not really when we're not really incorporating His will into our life, or not becoming like Him. We're not really worshiping Him, not really. And so, but here it's saying, listen, if you will take the Torah, then you will meet Torah. You will take me with it. And a, par- a, a parable is brought down in the for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. But the parable is brought down in the midrash uh, this week, where it's talking about a king who who gave his daughter in marriage to another king. And he said to the king, he said, I love my daughter very much. She's my only daughter. I can't withhold her and I can't keep her from going. But what I'm asking you to do is when you take her, that you, wherever you go, will build a a room for me in your house that I could be near her. And so the parable is that when God gave us his Torah, his holy Torah, which it uses a female uh, uh, pronoun regarding the Torah. Why? Because the Torah is the spirit of God, the female essence of God. It says, when you take my Holy Spirit, which is my Torah, then I'm going to be right there because I can't be, I cannot be separated from the Torah because we are a chad. So when you take the Torah, you're taking me. Amen. This is the take part. This is what it means when it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So we have here, and Ma'am Loez is talking about this very aspect of standing at the door and not going back to that for just one quick second. Y'all getting something out of it so far, so good? It says, according to another interpretation of my perfect one, going back to this, this verse, temiti, my perfect one, means temoti. Same words, adding an olive. When we add the, the olive represents God, we drop God into this word of my beloved one or my perfect one, it means my twin. When God calls us his perfect one, he's calling us his twin. How do we become his twin? When we, become, when we begin to emulate him. It says thus the... Oh, I'm not going to read that. That's, that's, that goes into another conversation. It's good though. So I just want to read a couple more things here, a couple more things. Why, why are we giving at this point? Notice that everybody's, everybody's required to give, and, and you've got to give to what your heart wants. Listen, this teaches us a lesson that if we're giving and we're giving out of compulsion, then you need, you need to get your heart right with God. This is why every single week I say we should be coming and joyfully giving. I'm not just trying to be cute or funny. I mean it. We should be giving it with joy. And if we find ourselves writing out that gift or whatever it is, and we're like, oh, man, if I had this money, I could pay off that. Just stop. Rebuke that thought and go, no, 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 no. I rebuke that. God operates outside the realm of natural order. He will take care of it. 
doesn't mean to go run up your credit card bill and tell God to take care of it. What it means is, is just that he'll be faithful to help you take care of your business. Because if you make your business his business, then he'll make your business his business. That's how God works. So, but what's the other reason? It says, it goes on in the commentaries to say that God told the children of Israel, he, he said that tell them to make all this stuff. And when it came to the ark, we were all supposed to have a part to play in making the ark. We're all supposed to build the ark. Exodus 25, 10 through 11 says, now they are to make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits in height, one and a half cubits wide and a cubit and a half high. And you are to overlay it with pure gold inside and out, say inside and out, inside and out and make a crown of gold around it. How come it didn't say outside and in? It said inside and out. See, everything in the Torah means something. So it starts by saying, make the ark gold on the inside to the outside. This is to teach us that we are to be pure inside so it begins to reflect on the outside, not the other way around. This is why when people come here sometimes and we try to slow them down because they're excited usually, but they start, they they run into the fig tree, which is open six days a week, and... They buy all this stuff, you know, and to them it's like Jewish gear and they're putting it on, but they're really not internalizing the truth of the Torah. And we're like, slow down. Let's put the gold on the inside. Then we'll worry about the crown on the outside. Because what happens sometimes is people come and they start doing and then, you know, man, they're walking around, they're seat, seat a mile long, and a big keeper, a big sun keeper, and then everything, you know. <laughs> Happen that's a feeling, uh, uh, uh. and then next thing you know, Rabbi gets up there and says something about giving, and they're they're done. Why? Because they put they were lay, they were they were putting gold on the outside of the vessel, and they weren't thinking about the inside of the vessel. This is why you got to go through the classes and go through all that kind of stuff because we've got to get pure. So it says here in Yoma 72b, the verse states concerning the ark: from within and from without, you shall cover it. Rava said this alludes to the idea that any Torah scholar whose inside is not like his outside is not considered a Torah scholar. There's a whole much more about that, but I've got to hurry. Yeshua said, woe to you, teach Torah scholars, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean out the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and uncontrollable desire. Old blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and, and dish so that the outside may become clean as well. By the way, Notice that he rebuked the Pharisees, but then he went, went along and told them how to correct their actions, which means he didn't hate the Pharisees. He's trying to help them be better. Why, was he, why, why could he not hate the Pharisees? Because he himself was a Pharisee. He's rebuking them and saying, this is the deal, so this is how you fix it. So the, this is why the, in the, the Torah ethic is if somebody really loves you, Rabbi Mizrahi was talking about this in a drosh a couple weeks ago. If somebody, if you really have a friend who loves you, They'll try to correct your ungodly behavior. Yes. And if somebody comes along and says, hey, you, I know you're not about to grill hamburgers on Shabbat. <laughs> Don't go, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Love that person for loving you enough to try to keep you from being bit by a serpent. Now, I just want to share this one more, one more thing with you. One more, one more. Man, I, the other stuff is good, though. Look at this. Wow. 
Oh, man, Torah for all. Anyway, don't have time for that. <laughs> Rava said, this is also from Yoma 72b. Rava said to the sages in the study hall, listen to this. I beg of you, do not inherit Gehenna twice. How do we inherit Gehenna twice? By studying Torah without the accompanying fear of heaven and by failing to fulfill it. Not only are you undeserving of the world to come, but even in this world you experience Gehenna because you spend all your time in the study hall and you do not participate in the pleasure of worldly benefits. So the Talmud is saying, you spend all your time studying, and yet at the end of that study, you become twice the son of Gehenna. This is what Yeshua meant in his rebuke when he said, Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of Gehenna as yourself. Matthew 23, 15. What is... What is Messiah talking about? He, what he's talking, if you look in context, what he means to say is, you're studying this stuff and you're talking about it and you're even writing about it, but you're not fully living it. We come back to giving and taking. There's, there, we we got to get out of this m- mindset that we have sometimes where we don't want to fully live. We just want to study and talk about it. And again, this is all about refinement. We should be checking ourselves. We should be looking at what I'm studying and what I'm doing here. Am I really, is my Kavanaugh pure? If I'm praying and I find myself, my mind wandering, which, listen, happens. It happens to me. Stop. Imagine in your mind who you're standing before. Refocus and begin praying again. Why? Why? Because we want not to be twice the son of hell. We want people who are studying Torah and implementing in our life, and it's not for show. It's not to win Israel. It's not for any other reason than God said so. This is why we give. We give because we love God. But as we say every week, what do we know? What do we know? Help us, Hashem, to be good givers. And help us to be good takers. And as we take the Torah, may you come with it, Father. In Yeshua's name, amen.